0: morning. morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today on this uh, fourth Sunday in the month of May and uh, seventh Sunday in the season of Easter. So that means next Sunday will be Pentecost Sunday and then we get into the the season of Pentecost, um, which is all the the green that you will see up front during the season of summer. Today in this seventh Sunday of Easter, we see especially what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, he prays for you and for me, and in our sermon, we'll see how that prayer is reflected in our lives as we go about our daily Christian living in a sinful world. The entire service is outlined for you in your service folder. Um, Due to a clerical error on my part, we will be having Holy Communion today, which, all things considered, isn't a bad thing either. But we'll begin with hymn number 157, and then continue with the service as outlined for you there. God bless your worship. We continue in your service folder. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy Amen. and merciful Father. Is a called servant of Christ, and by his authority I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Right hand. Through your living and abiding word, give us hearts to know him and faith to follow where he has gone, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of God's word. Our first reading comes from Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We see joy at suffering for the sake of Christ. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin, be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him through his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of our God. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 124, as printed on the next page. Our second reading comes from Peter's first letter, reading selected verses from chapters 4 and 5. Today's suffering cannot rob us of the joy in seeing Jesus. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in connection with the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or as a meddler. But if you suffer for being a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God in connection with this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now if it begins with us, what will be the end for those who disobey the gospel of God? Therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand so that He may lift you up at the appointed time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Have sound judgment, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him by being firm in the faith. You know that the same kinds of sufferings are being laid on your brotherhood all over the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore establish strengthen and support you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hallelujah. Please rise for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel reading comes from John chapter 17. Our Lord Jesus speaks with the certainty of glory achieved through his cross. After Jesus had spoken these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, Glorify me at your own side with the glory I had at your side before the world existed. I revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have held on to your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they received them. They learned the truth that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given to me, because they are yours. All that is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer going to be in the world, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. This is the word of our God. I invite you to turn to our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed, as found on page 18 in the front part of your hymnal. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. Who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and Apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn. Redeemed. We consider especially the portion of Peter's first epistle that was read previously. And as we begin looking at that, perhaps it's most fitting to consider the final portion of what Jesus said in our gospel lesson. I am no longer going to be in the world, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And he prays this, most likely in the upper room, after Judas has left, after after they've had Holy Communion for the first time ever, and he prays this with his disciples sitting around and listening, and then they get up and leave, they sing the the evening Passover hymn and walk down the stairs, across the valley, to that little olive grove known as Gethsemane you think those words stuck in their mind? I am no longer going to be in the world, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Now when Jesus says that, obviously as God, he is always and has always been and will always be omnipresent, which is to say, existing everywhere, at every place, and every time. But when he says... I am no longer going to be in the world. That's exactly what he had pointed ahead to and that we celebrated this past Thursday. The visible ascension of Jesus to heaven, where his disciples couldn't walk and talk with him the way that they had previously. But that sentence, I am no longer going to be in the world, but they are still in the world. Almost like the parents camping out in the Australian Outback, and saying, well, I'm going to leave you in the tent here for a couple of days, and then I'll be back, speaking to their, you know, six or seven or eight-year-old child. I'm not going to be with them. I'm not going to be there visibly taking care of them. Now, the illustration blips, obviously, because a parent can be in two places at one time but it's kind of that foreboding sense that John had alluded to time and time again that he began his gospel with the light shines in the darkness darkness has not understood though he was in the world though he made the world though the world was made through him he came to the world and the world did not receive him and so Jesus visibly ascends into heaven and says dear children I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be as innocent as dogs. They will still be in the world, Jesus prayed. But I won't. And perhaps, perhaps, that leads us to our understanding of what in the world is going on there in our reading from Acts. Acts chapter 5. The only thing more preposterous than Jesus Say, I'm coming out of the world But I'm going to leave them here Surrounded by enemies Surrounded by people that hate them for no reason And the disciples get dragged Before the very people Who had voted to crucify Jesus They get flogged And set free And they come out of there Singing "Hallelujah, Praise God That we have been allowed Permitted to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's that kind of context that that Peter writes to you and to me. He had had some specific persecution in mind, no doubt. But the truth has always been constant throughout church history that, that God's church is like that little flock sent out into the world, and the world is full of wolves, that little flock, whom Jesus guards and protects and keeps and cares for, yet at the same time, at the same time, this Jesus allows his flock to be attacked and even scattered. Why? And why in the world should we rejoice in that? Now, thinking of the gospel, the uh, the epistle lesson. From 1 Peter. And the whole topic of Peter is the whole idea of suffering and how a Christian approaches suffering in, in their lives. And you read that, and we might think to ourselves, well, I get it, but all this talk about suffering seems to you know, suck a little bit of joy out of life, right? That I don't have to go through the same sort of suffering that somebody else does on the other side of the world, and for the most part, The suffering that I might experience perhaps pales in comparison if I even think about it. What's the blue side? Well, the suffering I have, it really hurts me inside, but I don't feel like I can talk about that. I don't feel like I can really bring it to God. I don't feel like, well, it just kind of pales in comparison to anything else besides, isn't the Christian life supposed to be about glory and joy and happiness? I don't want to think about the idea of suffering. But through it all, it's the temptation. And and the big idea is this. If you are a Christian, and I have full confidence that you are, then you fall into that verse that Jesus says, verse 11. They are still in the world. And by virtue of the fact that you've been marked with the cross of Christ, by virtue of the fact that God has bought you and made you his own, you will experience suffering that that the unbeliever will know nothing about. I mean, sure, granted, an unbeliever's house might be hit by a tornado, just the same as a Christian's (coughs) They might know the suffering of of pain or loss or grief, but for the Christian, it's different. For the Christian, the suffering in your life and mine is different because of who it is that we follow. So I ask you again, thinking over your life, what does the suffering look like? And do we still have reason to rejoice during a time of suffering? Now this suffering that we're talking about, it's really the temptation at every point, at every step, to say, well, here are the facts of my faith, but here's how I feel. And they don't match up. Right? I know that... The Bible says Jesus rose from the dead, but that seems so far and away distant and almost forgotten because what in the world could that have to do with my life today? And the next step after that. If God really cared about me, would he permit this? And if God really answers prayer like he talks about here, would he permit that? Am I really on God's good side or not? question, the problem of suffering, the greatest suffering that a Christian can know, is that internal suffering, the, the thoughts of the mind, the worry of the heart, that says, where do I really stand with God? Where do I really stand with God when when my employer has these policies that seem to put a crimp and a cramp? on the way I want to live my Christian life, where do I really stand with God when my friends at school make fun of me if I say anything about Jesus and to say nothing of of going to catechism class where we actually learn what God's word says, and the suffering and the wondering, why can't I go to a place where we just play games on Wednesday night and then end with a devotion and a prayer, the suffering, the temptation, the worry and the wonder. Why do I put in the effort if it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like God really has given me that same sort of blessing? Where's the rejoicing? Where's the glory? Why does it feel like God's good side is over there and I'm over here? Anybody ever experienced that? That's life as Jesus describes it. I'm no longer going to be in the world visibly, but they, you and me, are still in the world. We still have that, that treasure of faith, that little, as the children's song says, that little gospel light of mine. And it still shines in a dark world that wants to extinguish it. Each of us could join in with another favorite children's hymn, I am Jesus' little lamb, and he is my good shepherd, and the wolves are circling. And at every point of the Christian life, when you know what God's will is, and you want to serve God inside and outside, the attack. I know what God says about me as, as a spouse, as a, as a boss, as an employee. I know what God's word says to me as a, as a child. Or as a parent. But it's so hard to do consistently. And so frustrating when it feels like I just don't measure up. And where in the world could anybody keep get the strength to do this day in and day out? No doubt. You've been there. And you begin to wonder, I really like Easter. I really like Easter Sunday. Even Ascension is pretty cool. And, and the, the day of Pentecost, you know, tongues of fire on the head and speaking in different languages, that's awesome. But where's the glory for the rest of the Christian year? Where's the glory in my life? And why should I rejoice? When it seems like Jesus has just said, there you go. Be a Christian, please. And if it seems like your Christianity is easy... Well, go back to the Word of God so that you don't get lulled to sleep with the rest of the world that is just so happy, so happy getting engaged in every other trivial distraction on the road to hell. Jesus says, watch out, that you don't fall asleep too. And it seems, and it sounds, if you think about it, it sounds almost like The the task before us is too hard, and too difficult, and absolutely impossible. And you'd be right. Because the strength doesn't come from you, or me. It doesn't come from this perfect morning routine that you heard about on the news. It doesn't come from a perfect diet or exercise plan. The strength doesn't come from the latest book or self-help podcast. Where it comes from is Jesus, who has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ, who literally, physically, rose from the dead. Who at the same time, God and man in one person, 100% God, 100% man, and he rules with all things under his feet, guiding the history of the world for you. For you. That this very Jesus, who ascended into heaven, and you can say, yeah, he holds history in his hands. In his his nail-scarred hands. Because Jesus prayed that prayer on Monday, Thursday night, before he was going away to be betrayed, and crucified. And just listen to the context. I revealed your name. I prayed for them. They believed that you sent me. All that is mine is yours. I am glorified in them. And there's the nub there, That the glory of Jesus is found in his cross. And the glory of Jesus found in that cross will also revealed in your life and shown in your life, but under a cross. Not not the same sort of cross as his, because his actually paid for sin. But you and I, you and I are taught what God's grace is really like, especially when we get to those points of suffering, the pieces of pain that hurt, the grief that comes back the temptation, the frustration. At all those points, the objective and unchanging word of God has said that Jesus paid for that sin too. That you are on good, God's good side because Jesus washed away your sin. He baptized you into his family. And in case, in case you ever doubted it, listen to the word of God again. Listen to the, the word of absolution. That your sins are forgiven, not because of anything you have done, or decided, or feel, or felt, but because Jesus died, and Jesus rose. And so, the whole idea of Christian suffering, and Christians living as light in a dark world, and as sheep among wolves, is suddenly cast into that light that the life of Christ, marked by the cross, is glorified in his death for sin and for sinners. That's even me. And because, because your sin has been washed away as an object of unchanging, absolutely certain fact, because Jesus walked out of that tomb, because Jesus ascended into heaven and said, don't worry, I'll be back, and I'll be back here in the Lord's Supper, and I'll be back at the end of time where everybody will see His glory. Because all of that is true, at every single point in your life, when it is difficult, especially when it's difficult to follow what God's will is, at that point, God is accomplishing His greatest work. He is bringing glory to Himself in the way that, that you act or think, or talk. The sacrifices that you make, the suffering that you even undergo for the sake of your faith. Because yes, every person in the world knows suffering, but only a Christian knows that inner turmoil And the actual struggle against the sinful nature. The temptation to say, I know who my God is, even when it doesn't feel like it. The confidence to say, I know that Jesus loves me. And the way that I know Jesus loves me? Well, yes, because of his cross, his empty tomb, and his ascension and his supper. And you know how else I know that Jesus loves me? Fill in the blank. Whatever has caused you the most pain in the last month, or year, or decade, and at that point, with that point, Jesus has chosen to reveal His glory in you. It's a hitting glory. I'm not saying you know, just look at your life and say, well, this, this, this. What I'm saying is exactly what Peter is saying here that, in verse 12, I'm following. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery trial, the blank with whatever yours happens to have been, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. No, it's absolutely natural and native to being a Christian. Instead, rejoice, whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Cool. I think. Because it's really cool that Jesus has chosen to reveal His glory even to you in your own life. And to store up kind of that glory to be poured out upon Him at the end of time. The sufferings of His Christians... Do not go unnoticed. He holds them too in his hand. And at the end of time, when Jesus stands there with all people gathered around him on Judgment Day, that last day, well, (laughs) the way I see it, it's got to last a really long time. But that won't matter because we'll be in entering timelessness anyway. And there, Jesus will basically pour out Sufferings of his people as the praises trickle from that cup, not with sufferings that have in any way earned or merited our own forgiveness, but sufferings that mark you as a Christian, and your approach to them marking you as a Christian. Because at every point along the way, the Christian says, Well, this thing is really bothering me right now. Yeah, I know I have to, I want to do the right thing. But it's so hard. And a Christian can come back and say, well, yes it is. But my Jesus has risen from the dead. And whatever he permits, allows and sends my way. Each of those things is an opportunity to say, my Lord knows best. And I know that my Jesus walks with me and takes care of me, even, and especially at this point. Take, for example, the headlines from around the world. It doesn't take very much to read those, and sometimes you just want to shield your children's eyes from them. You know, when I was younger, just turned on the the sound on the evening news, or go to your room for a few minutes until this this next news segment is open. Most recently, a group of school kids, like three school buses, coming home from Sunday school in Egypt, yeah, stopped by some Muslim terrorists. They opened fire. Three survived. If you look at that. Wonder, well, my suffering isn't that great. Or, how could a good God allow this? Or, how should I even react to this? And Peter says, well, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that in his grace, our Lord takes the most heinous actions of ungodly people and turns them into a blessing for his people. On a larger and more visible scale like those type of events or on a smaller, perhaps even invisible scale in your own life in your own heart. Because the world will hate Jesus. You know why? The world doesn't really, really at large Any other religion. They'll coexist with Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, atheism, whatever. And more than just coexisting, they'll embrace it. But Christianity, they cannot stand. The reason why? It ties in exactly with the suffering of the Christian life. By accident, of course. But the reason why the world hates. Christianity and the proclamation of Christians is because they know that Jesus, you know, this man Jesus of Nazareth, actually walked the dusty roads of Palestine. And they're terrified at the fact that his words might be true about rising from the dead and coming back as judge at the end of the time. It's a terrifying thought for anybody outside of Christ but for the Christian, for you and for me, it's the reminder that yes, Jesus himself said it. He said that he will be leaving his disciples and then returning, and he will soon. He said that these disciples of mine are still in the world, like sheep among wolves. And that still is true. And he said, do not be surprised at the suffering that you experience whether visible large scale or the sort of suffering that you haven't even voiced to anybody else Jesus knows it he says do not be surprised instead rejoice whenever you are sharing the sufferings of Christ the privilege that out of all people in the world we have to suffer in a sinful world. Out of all people in the world, you alone know the truth, that your suffering is marked with the cross of Christ, with the footprints of him who walked out of the grave. That your suffering alone you know is temporary, and the glory that he promises is eternal. That your suffering alone is actual, in the actual context of the struggle of faith against sin, the struggle of God's side against the world, even on the small scale of struggle of faith against the sinful flesh. So, what does Peter say? All this in mind? Therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hands that He may lift you up at the appointed time. When he talks about humility there, he's really saying you can have confidence. <coughs> That Jesus will take care of you. That Jesus will take care of everything. And that Jesus will make it right. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Resist the devil. And you know that the same kind of sufferings are being laid on your brotherhood, your family of believers across the world. But it's promised. You can open up to... uh, page 90 in the bulletin there. His promise there is that final paragraph. And this is where for all the suffering, all the struggle, all the pain, all the grief, all the wondering, finds its answer. In the risen Lord Jesus, after you have suffered for a little while, God of all grace, who calls you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, the God of all grace will establish and restore and strengthen and support you as God brings himself glory in your life. To give you glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Please rise. may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We continue with the create in me as printed on pages 10 and 11. Jesus, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for the grace by which you have sustained your servants, Peter and Desiree Hagen, throughout six years of married life. We ask that you continue to fill their hearts with the unselfish love that reflects your sacrificial love for them, so that their love for each other may never grow weary. With every joy and sorrow that they share, bring them closer to each other and to you, their God and Lord. Encourage all husbands and wives as they seek to fulfill their marriage promises, and bless all our homes with your abiding peace. We also come to you in thanksgiving on behalf of the Woodfords and on behalf of the Johnson, as Nantan and as Paula return to their homes after a year of study here. We ask that you continue to keep them safe during their travels and bring them home to their homeland safely, and also continue to bless the, the word that you have planted in their hearts, that they may continue to grow in faith and godly living. All this to the glory of your name, as we join to pray. Our Father Continue on page 11 in your service folder. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is good and right so to do. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks. O Lord, holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise you especially for the glorious resurrection of your Son, the true Passover Lamb, who by his sacrifice took away the sins of the world, and by his resurrection restored everlasting life. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name and join their glorious songs. Given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. forgiveness of all your sin. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given you to death for the forgiveness of all your sins. May this true body and blood of our Savior strengthen and preserve you in the true faith which are life everlasting. You part at peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. As we join in the song of Simeon on cage God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. You may be seated for our closing hymn. Once again, a special welcome to the guests worshiping with us today. Um, a couple of brief notes there at the bottom of page 15. And um, the other note from our altar guild, they were hoping for somebody to help carry the cross down after worship today. And also a big uh, thank you to Jean, Margot, and Becky, our altar guild, for this month. Um, I texted them on, on Thursday afternoon that we were having communion on Thursday night because I forgot to tell anybody else, I guess. And then um, today... We don't normally have communion on a fourth Sunday, but we just put it in the bulletin because I can't count weeks. And it was a good thing. So thank you, ladies, and uh, thank you for your service. God bless you.